Open your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We will be there in just a moment. Jack read there um, a moment ago in our scripture reading. We're going to take a look at um, the faith of Moses here in just a moment. But I wanted to um, set the stage here about what we're going to talk about. Uh, with this title in mind, and that is, Which Road for the Christian? We uh, know the idea about choosing which road we're going to take, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a common analogy. Uh, poets of old have used it. Um, you think of Robert Frost in that poem, the, the Road Less Taken, The Road Less Traveled. Or there's a, a road that diverges in, in the yellow wood. And he decides which one he's going to take. He decided he was going to take the one less traveled by. We see this in other literature. We even see our Lord using this kind of analogy when he talks about there in, in his Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 7, about the narrow gate and the broad gate and the paths that are associated with each of those, one that leads to, to eternal life with the Heavenly Father and one that leads to destruction. And there's a path that we have to choose. Which one are we going to follow? So, which road are we going to choose as Christians? Well, let's think about it in these kinds of terms, in that we make decisions all the time. This is part of the life that we lead. We make decisions all the time. When we are young, some of those decisions will, will shape our very lifelong path, whether good or bad. Sometimes we have those young people that make very, very good decisions and lead a life that is in service to God eventually as they grow and mature and come to know Christ and to put on Christ. And there's some that choose to go down the wrong road. And sadly, that sometimes they can't ever get off that road. When we're older, we need to abide in those in those good decisions. If we start off and we're, and we're walking down that good path, we need to stay on that road. And we'll talk about endurance a little bit as we go along here, but understand that you need to stay on the road. If you're on the right path, you need to stay on that path and not get dragged down by the cares of life and, and the things that, that beset us along the way. But if we need to, um, if we need to change course, then do so. If you started off on, the, on a bad course, or if you've gone down, you were on the, on the right road and you've lost your way, you need to change course and get back on the right path. But in all stages of life, whatever we're talking about, we need to walk with God. Whatever stage of life we're in, hopefully as a young person, you know, and the young people that are in our lives, we, we encourage them to walk that that narrow road. Go through that narrow gate along that path. Whatever stage of life we are in, we need to be walking with God and make sure we're in uh, accordance with Him and with His will for us as His children. So we want to use Moses as an example as we go forward to talk about decision-making. And when we come to those forks in the road, Moses had that time in his life where he was at a, a fork in the road. He had to choose which way he was going to go. 
The Hebrew writer tells us there in chapter 11, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So we see Moses making a choice. He had a choice to make. It was in front of him. He made a choice. And as a result, he revealed his character. With the decision that he made, he revealed what kind of person he was. And that is that he was going to follow after God. Not whatever consequences that might be, as we know there are some very bad consequences as a result that happens to Moses along the way as he's leading the children of Israel. But whatever the consequences were, and he says even suffering the ill treatment of God's people, he stuck with that decision. And it revealed something about his character. And that is that he chose spiritual things over the earthly things. We think about his condition that he was in. He was in the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the leader of Egypt. He was amongst wealth and power and prestige. But he chose rather to leave all that and to be with his native people, to be with the Jews. We too are faced with tough decisions. Fortunately, we don't have... I don't think, the gravity of the kind of decisions that Moses had to deal with. But we have some very weighty things in our life that we have to decide, one or the other, which way, one way or the other. Some of those things like we can break down like this, flesh versus the spirit, good versus evil, God versus Satan. You know, not all our decisions are this weighty. Some are what we're going to put on that morning, right? But some are very weighty. Where we live, the jobs we take, the people that we surround ourselves with, where we spend our time, where we spend our energies, where we spend our money. Those are big decisions that we have to make. And what are we willing then to put before God? What, it, what is it that's going to take us off that path? Because those things that we put before God are those stumbling blocks along the way. Those things that, that serve to knock us off the path. And those are the things that come between us and, and the God that we serve. So what things are we willing to put before him? Ourself? Our friends? Our family? Our career? Are we willing to take the easy way out? Moses could have taken the easy way out. He could have stayed there in the house of Pharaoh in the lap of luxury and and live out his life, but he chose not to. He didn't choose the easy way. God expects his children to choose only his path. If we're going to follow after God, there's only one path. And not to do so shows opposition to God. You know, we like to, as humans and uh, as, a, as our nature, we like to kind of muddy up the waters, don't we? Well, this, this is okay. Bible says I can't, that doesn't say I can't do that, right? That's muddy in the waters. God sees it very simply. Our Lord says in Luke 11, verse 23, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. See, our Lord saw it very, very simply. You're either with me 
or you're not. Paul reflects that in his writing in, in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 7. The mind set on flesh is hostile towards God. If we have our mind focused on those worldly things, keep using our example of Moses, if, our, if Moses would have chosen uh, the passing pleasure of sin, that is the things in this world, he would have been hostile to God. There's two sides in the, in the decision-making process, if we, if we boil it down very, very simply. We can see two sides in the decision-making process. There's one side that's the negative side, and that is when we say no to something. If we, if we come to that crossroads in our life, and, and, and we see that there's a decision, it's a, it's a yes or no decision, the negative side is that we're going to say no to something. For Moses, it meant giving up the life of comfort. That's what he had to say no to. That's the negative side of his decision. And he recognizes that he knew what he would be missing. If you look there in, in Hebrews 11, if you look back up in verse 23, it says, by faith, when, uh, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were afraid of the king's edict. Now this... Moses didn't have anything to do with this part of his life, right? He was an infant. His mother put him in that basket and set him to drift on the river to protect his life. Moses didn't have any, anything to, to do with that. Those are the things that were done to him. His mother was trying to save his life because the edict had come down from Pharaoh for the babies to be killed. But he recognizes in verse 24, it says, By faith Moses when he had grown up. You see, now is the time when, when he can make a decision. He'd grown up now. He, he had the ability to choose. He knew what he would be saying yes to and what he'd be saying no to. So he recognized what it was that he would be missing. And he had to say no to that worldly life. He had to say no to, the, uh, to that station of life that would have been so good for him in a worldly sense. But he said no to that. That's the negative side of his decision. The positive side of his decision, and we understand this, is what we say yes to. So we're going to say no to something, and then we're going to say yes to something else. In the simplest of terms. And for Moses, it meant that he was going to be identified with God's people. No world, yes, God's people. That's what he was going to do. It, was, it meant he was going to be identified with God's People. He positively chose a life of ill treatment. If you think about that, doesn't sound positive, does it? But that's what he responded yes to. He positively chose a life of ill treatment over a life of comfort. So when we say yes to God, we say yes to a life lived to God. We come up out of those baptismal waters. We, we read there, David read this morning, about the new creature that we come out of those waters as. We're saying yes to that. We're saying yes to a life lived to God. And we're going to accept whatever comes along with that decision. Now, I'll tell you that there's lots of good things that come along with that decision, right? We have the love of the brotherhood. We have the strength of the 
of the church, the congregation in which we worship. We have the strength of the, of the whole body of Christ when we travel around and, and see other people and, and, and come together with others on the first day of the week to enjoy the fellowship that we have in our Lord. Lots of positive things about being a Christian. There's also some things that are negative about it as far as the treatment that we're going to have. Now, I'll say and, and continue to say, we don't have the ill kind of treatment that a lot of people in the world have right now. We're free to practice our religion in this world, in this country, shall I say. A lot of people in the world aren't. But no matter what, we have to stick with that decision. We have to go along with whatever consequences go along with that. One of the things in thinking about this is the idea of a delayed reward. So we have decisions that are, that are usually immediate, but sometimes the reward is, is far off. That part of it's not immediate. And for Moses, it says that he was looking to the reward. There was something out there for Moses that he was looking to, the immediate things, the passing pleasures of sin, that was the things in the immediate future. But he was looking for something past that. He was looking for something afar off. Human nature leads us to that instant gratification, doesn't it? I mean, we live in a world of instant gratification. We think about the, from the smartphones that we have in our hand, you know. It used to be that if you wanted to make a phone call, you went home and made a call, or you stopped at a payphone. I'm old enough to remember payphones. I'm old enough to remember the rotary phones, too, you know. That's how we made phone calls back then. Now we just reach in our pocket and hook up this little device, and we can be connected to anybody in the world. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, this is not a, a sermon to, uh, to downplay or to, or to run down technology. I think there's a lot of good things about technology. We can pick up that same thing and have the Bible in our hand, too. That's a good thing. That's a blessing. But human nature leads us to this instant gratification, and that leads to all sorts of things. Advertisers pick up on that. Uh, people who make those phones do so in a matter that we can be instantly gratified by that. And we may enjoy lots of blessings in this life as a child of God. And that, again, is wonderful. We have so many blessings and have so much uh, good that comes from being a Christian. It far outweighs all the negative. We enjoy those things as a child of God. But our ultimate reward, the ultimate uh, goal for us is still far off. We still have this life that we have to live, the time in this world. But there is something waiting for us, and that's still far off for us. What's the lesson for that? What's the lesson in instant gratification versus a reward that's far off. The lesson is we got to keep doing what we're doing. We got to keep going. We got to keep enduring the life that we have. In Galatians 6, Paul says this beginning in verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Reaping and sowing, it's another one of those common uh, 
analogies that's used throughout Scripture. And the idea is there, there's something planted, and then some time goes by, and then there's a harvest. And that is something that's, that we need to understand in, in the life that we live. The, the, the word has been planted in us. The time now is it, is it grows and matures, and there's going to come a, a harvest. And that ultimate harvest is when we stand before our Maker and give an account of a life that we have led, either in His service or not. Now Paul here is saying, don't grow weary in doing good. This, we're, we're in the, uh, the time of raising those crops, right? If we, if we keep that analogy going. We're nurturing, watering, fertilizing. But there's going to come a harvest time. But Paul is saying you keep doing it. Keep going. There's a delayed reward for us as Christians. Another thing to consider in, in the decision making, what we're talking about here, is this idea of filling the void. Uh, godly living is not simply uh, just giving up all the bad things. There's more to it than that. There's a void that comes in our life if we, if we step out of our worldly lives and, and, and give up whatever those worldly things are. Then there's a void there. And Christianity, being a child of God, is more than just stepping out of that, more than just putting off those worldly things. There's a void there that needs to be filled. It's filling, those things, filling that place where those things have come with things that are pleasing to God. Our Lord puts it this way. We looked there in Luke 11 a minute ago, verse 23, where he talks about if you're either for me or against me, or if you, you either gather with me or you scatter. The next verse here, beginning verse 24 of Luke 11, says, When the unclean spirit goes out from a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and, none, and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. See, this is the danger of just getting rid of the, of the negative things and not filling that void with the positive things. Because something's going to fill that void. Maybe we've given up this aspect of our life that's worldly and it's sinful, if we don't fill that back with something that's pleasing to God, we run the risk of something even more sinful coming in and filling this place. We put to death that old man of sin, and we begin living a life to Christ. We made reference of this uh, already in talking about the, the life that we live. Look over in Romans chapter 6. There's a... a a time in our life when we put off that old man of sin and we become a new child of God, a babe in Christ. There's a, a time in, in each one of ours, those of, of us who have put on Christ, we can pinpoint that time when this happened. And what do we do in response to that? Verse 11 of Romans 6, it says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. 
And do not go on in presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. See, this is the same idea that our Lord was talking about. We're dead to sin. There's the void. Now that gets filled with the righteousness of God. That's the void that we have to fill. It's not simply just doing away with the worldly things and thinking that's going to be enough. Our service to God requires us to be in service, in righteous service to him. And that's how we fill that void. Something else to think about. That great decisions are costly. Again, human nature tells us uh, to succeed in this world. And parents want this for their children. You know, we want our children to have it better than we had. That's natural. That's a natural state of humankind. But the things of this world are temporary. We can't put our stock in the things of this world. And, and yes, it's good that we want our children to have things better than we had it. We also got to teach them not to put their stock in the worldly things. 2 Peter 3 Peter's talking about the coming destruction of the world. He's talking about a time when all the things of the world, the gold, the silver, the precious gems and precious stones and the people, the relationships that we have and the things that we have, the houses, the clothes on our back, all those things are going to be destroyed. There's coming a time for that. It's out there. And he says there, 2 Peter 3 and verse 11, he says, Since all things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? If you know, and Scripture tells us that there is a time coming, and then the worldly things are going to be done away with, how ought you to be living your life in the meantime, up to that point where destruction comes? Conduct and godliness. Great decisions are costly. The decision that we make to follow God might cost us all the things in the world. But that's okay. Because our souls are what's most important. Decisions might cost us those worldly things, but they still pale in comparison to the reward of heaven. There's no greater reward, no more costly a precious stone, or a precious metal. Nothing is more precious than heaven itself. What's great in all this is that God has not left us without some decision-making aids. He's not left us to just wander this world and this earth to, and to hope we stumble upon what's going to lead us to heaven. He's given us. He's given us things such as knowing right from wrong. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You see, as a child of God, if you study and, and grow and, and want to know more and more about God, then he's going to tell you. And you're going to be able to discern good and evil. So you know right from wrong. So when the decisions come, you'll know which path to take. The right one or the wrong one. He's also given us a sense of real value. 
as we mentioned there about what's so very important. From 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, Paul puts it this way. For we know that, that this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. See, that's real value. That's eternal. That's everlasting. The things of this world are not. That's a sense of real value. He's also given us the idea to go along with that, to know that this world is temporary. We read there from Luke, Second uh, Peter 3. Our Lord says this in Luke chapter 12, beginning verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you for years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This is amongst the parable of, of uh, the man who had some very productive farmland, remember? And he says, I have all these things that, all this produce that my farmland has produced. What shall I do with it? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? See, the, the bigger barns weren't going to do anything for that man's soul. We have to know that this world is temporary. And we've got to set our minds on those things above. You know, we, we, we talk about it, we say it. But scripture encourages us to set our minds on those things that are above. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. So we have that as a focus, right? Not just that there's that reward in heaven afar off, but we can set our minds on that and see Christ. He's seated at the right hand of God. We also have been shown that we can anticipate the coming reward. Even though it is afar off, we can anticipate it. In Romans 8 and verse 18, For I consider that my sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is a coming reward. The Bible tells us over and over that there's a coming reward. There's also that coming destruction. We need to anticipate the reward. So which road for the Christian which road do we take? God expects his children <clears throat> to walk that road with him. And what's so encouraging about that is to understand that, that Paul tells us in his writings to, uh, to abide with God, to walk with God, to imitate Christ. We're not left on our own. God will walk the path with us. But we've got to be in step with him. It often means that we, we've got to give up things of this world. The decisions that we make, the path that we follow, sometimes that means we've got to give up some things in this world. And we've got to replace the things that uh, draw us away from God with the things that draw us towards God. Godly pursuits. Righteous behavior. And knowing that we have that delayed reward in heaven. We speak about a coming destruction, but there's that reward for the Christian, and it is a good reward. It's a life in heaven 
with our God and our Creator. So as a child of God, it's our duty to stay on that road. We've chosen that. That's why we're here today. Somewhere along our lives, we've chosen that path. So we're here today to, to recommit ourselves to walking that path, to refresh our minds, to know that Scripture has not left us as orphans. In fact, we have God that we can cry out, Abba, Father. So he's given us the way that leads to him. It's our job to stay on that path. If as a child of God you've strayed from that path and you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.